All right, welcome to what seemed to be becoming uh, some of the favorite episodes of Inappropriate Earl, and that is a week where I can unfortunately not line up a guest. So I have to basically interview myself for the next hour or so. And this is going to be a pretty easy one because, as many of you know, I am a big pro wrestling fan. And this past weekend was what is basically the Super Bowl of pro wrestling. Actually, it's it's a huge weekend for pro wrestling. WrestleMania weekend, WrestleMania 31, in addition to the Super Bowl-like card on Sunday, you get the Hall of Fame inductions in uh, on Saturday night, which is kind of cool. You know, like the NFL, they do their Hall of Fame inductions, I think, in something like uh, late July, early August, and then the Super Bowl is seven or eight months away. Uh, I think it'd be cool if they did it like the WWE did. And uh, did it all on the same weekend. So make those Hall of Fame inductees, you know, feel a little more special like the uh, WWE wrestlers uh, did and do. The ones that are still alive anyway. And I think that's like, you know, kind of a weird thing to have a Hall of Fame for a sports entertainment where the results are kind of like already known. You know, I got into an argument recently with a friend who's like, well, uh, Ric Flair should be in the Hall of Fame, and he already is, uh, because he won the world title 16 times. And I'm like, dude, the writer who wrote those 16 uh, outcomes should be in the Hall of Fame, too. So, uh, and then we argued whether uh, Rikishi should be in the Hall of Fame, and we got into a really passionate debate about his accomplishments and whether they're Hall of Fame worthy. And then we both looked each other in the eyes and realized that we were arguing about a basically a fictional Hall of Fame. So that argument ended real fast. Uh, but uh, this year's uh, inductees were pretty cool. You know, you had the Bushwhackers. You had, uh, you know, Medusa, who uh, gave uh, maybe one of the top speeches of all time. Um and that's saying something. I mean, last year's speeches were great. You know, Jake the Snake Roberts, Ultimate Warrior. Uh, but this year's were really cool. You also had Kevin Nash uh, inducted by Shawn Michaels. So uh, that was kind of interesting, especially given what would happen 24 hours later in Sting's match where, you know, apparently between the Hall of Fame uh, induction and Sting and Triple H's match, uh, Shawn Michaels and Kevin Nash had a beef. So uh, we'll cover what happened uh, in that match later. And, uh, you know, the Hall of Fame, it's just a great, uh, you know, the WWE, you know, they may kill their wrestlers early, but they give them great tributes when they do die. And uh, it was a very sad uh, Hall of Fame induction, uh, you know, with a uh, young boy who had uh, died of cancer. Um, and Daniel Bryan gave a great speech. It's kind of a weird speech because he basically said, you know, not in these words, but kind of uh, threw it out there that, hey, what we do pro wrestling is fake, but this is real life. And uh, I'm sure that made uh, Vince McMahon's uh, heart 
beat a little faster. And, uh, you know, it's just a great uh, ceremony that sets up the closing act of WrestleMania 31. And uh, I really enjoyed the card minus one match. I think you guys can all guess which one that is. As, uh, we'll cover it. We'll go in order of the matches. Uh, you know, and it's a long day, man. And uh, let me throw this out there. And I don't think I am the uh, first a person to throw this out there. I hate WrestleMania starting in the daytime. It, it just makes it look like kind of like when you go to those uh, concerts, you know, like when I went to Rocklahoma in 2007 and you're seeing some great bands like Y&T and Black and Blue playing at like two in the afternoon. And I think, you, you know, if you know who these bands are, you kind of feel sorry for them because you're like, Jesus Christ, it's two in the afternoon. No one's really in the zone right now to enjoy you guys. And if you don't know who these bands are, you're a little younger. You, you walk in going, Oh, these guys must suck. So, uh, really felt sorry for uh, Y and T because, uh, at two in the afternoon in prior Oklahoma. And if you've ever been to prior Oklahoma in the summertime in July, it's fucking hot. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they were wearing full leather and just looking like they were in a steam room the whole time. And I don't mean the steam rooms at my gym. Trust me on that one. Although Y&T are uh, from around the San Francisco area. So watch out. Thank you, Dave Minichetti. I'll, I'll see you at the steam room at 24-Hour Fitness by Cobb's uh, Comedy Club, where I opened up for Rob Schneider. Killed it. See, notice how I gave myself a little plug. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, you, you kind of felt that way uh, on the pre-show matches. Uh which uh, the first one was the uh, the tag team champion uh, belts were on the line. And uh, some great wrestlers, man. You had Tyson Kidd and Cesaro. You had New Day, uh, Los Matadors, the Usos. And uh, just some great spots, man. I mean, some just ECW-like spots. And, uh, you know... Half half the people weren't in the arena, not arena stadium, uh, you know. So you kind of just felt that all the contestants and and that was like, hey, you know, not necessarily uh, half the crowd's not here. Fuck it, but they just seemed to really all give it their all, and it, and it showed. And it's a shame that um, you know the stadium wasn't full for these guys and uh, Natalia, uh, also who is the uh, valet of Kid and Cesaro. But some great spots there. A great way to open the show. Uh, not the main card, but uh, you know, a really, really uh, just a fantastic uh, spot fest. So I, it, I think it's the perfect way to to start the card. You know, get everyone into it, and then uh, you know, Cesaro and. Tyson Kidd uh, retain their belts. And, uh, you know, I think the WWE is trying to slowly uh, rebuild the tag team uh, champion uh, bracket. You know, for, for some reason, the last decade, basically, no one's really cared much about the tag team belts. But, uh, you know, with so many wrestlers under contract, I, I think it's a pretty smart decision to, you know, rebuild that uh 
part of the show, especially since Raw is three hours, SmackDown's, I think, two hours. I never watch it. So that's five hours of programming, and you can't have Lesnar, and who's a part-timer, basically, and, and, and you know, you can't have it all be the top guys and girls on the show. So you got to build a mid-card, and I think the tag team uh, division is, certainly fits into that mid-card range. But, uh, you know, so hopefully uh, it's an interesting. Uh, there's, you know, probably six to eight uh, tag teams. So it, there's some freshness to it with uh, teams like the Ascension, who don't seem to be going over well, but maybe uh, people are getting a little bit more uh, used to them, hopefully. And, uh, you know, who knows what's down in uh, NXT, um, which is all the rave right now in the wrestling world because there's a lot of talent down there and, that is, for those of you not knowing, basically the minor league system for the WWE. And uh, also, who knows, uh, Samoa Joe, who's not with TNA anymore. I think he's uh, with Ring of Honor right now. He might be uh, coming in. So it'll be uh, interesting uh, to see if he, he's... Uh, of course, I don't think he'd be in the tag team division, but uh, there's a lot of talent on the way to, uh, you know, basically... Uh, take the place of some of the older guys who, you know, aren't going to be around for much longer. Um, so we'll see what happens in uh, 2015, the tag team division, hopefully some good stuff. And then of course the second match uh, on the uh, warm up part of the show, I guess you'd call it was the uh, Andre, the giant uh, battle Royal Memorial battle Royal. And uh, you know, uh, it's basically uh you know, a lot of mid-carters and, uh, you know, just filler, I guess you'd say. I mean, you had, uh, you know, guys like Adam Rose and Fandango and, uh, you know, uh, Alex Riley, uh, Bo Dallas, Zack Ryder, Kane, Sankara, you know, Cesaro and Tyson Kidd, you know, came back for double duty, Mark Henry, The Ascension, uh, Ryback, Goldust, Eric Rowan, uh, The Miz, Miz Dow, and Big Show. Uh, and, you know, it was, uh, I think the, probably the biggest storyline to come out of this was uh, something that, you know, a lot of people were hoping for. And I do think the WWE did a very good job of kind of, uh, you know, making this storyline build a little bit. You know, usually they rush through things and it ends up, you know, not good, but uh, the turn of Ms. Dow on Ms. As uh, Ms. Dow was the one who eliminated Ms. And setting up the big show, winning the battle uh, royal in memory of uh, Andre the Giant, which is kind of funny. A lot of fans didn't like it. You know, I think they were craving for a newer... Uh, You know, newer guy to win it. It's like Big Show. He's been around forever. He's kind of up and down in his uh, WWE career. Um, I mean, when he was in WCW, you just thought, my God, this guy's going to be the next Andre the Giant. And I think uh, even originally, I don't know if I, I forget to be completely honest, if it was WCW or when he first went to WWE, they were building him as Andre the Giant's son. <laughs> and outside of their enormous size, they really... Don't look a lot alike, so uh, it'll be interesting to... Uh, I don't even know what the hell happens 
uh, you know, for the winner of this. Uh, I don't think really anything. It's not like uh, there was anything on the line. Um, and then that was it for the pre-show. So a, a good start to the pre-show. It, it's kind of like seeing, uh, you know, if you ever go see a big stand-up comic, you know, Dave Chappelle or Rob Schneider or, uh, you know, Jeff Ross, uh, you know, you know, obviously everyone's there to see them, but you know, some of the opening acts are, are very funny. And, and so you get to, uh, open the show with, with some talent. So, uh, I, I think the uh, pre-show matches serve their purpose. Although I, I do wish that more people could have seen them. And, uh, then the main card starts and, uh, I don't know who, uh, I'm not uh, going to lie and say I know who sang America the Beautiful, Aloe Black. Uh, you know, I'm an 80s metalhead, so unless it's Stephen Piercy or Vince Neil singing the uh, national anthem, I, I don't really, uh, you know, it was okay. I mean, uh, at this point of the uh, evening, early evening, uh, you know, the stadium was pretty full. So, you know, good job, I guess. But, uh, you know, the, the first match on the card was... Uh, you, you know, you start to see the talent level and 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 the characters that we are have a little more uh, loyalty to show up because it was the uh, the latter uh, match for the Intercontinental uh, title, and you had uh, Bad News Barrett, Dean Ambrose, Luke Harper, Stardust, Dolph Ziggler, Daniel Bryan, and r Truth in a ladder match, and you know that that's just a fantastic. Um, roster of guys. I mean, uh, and, and a few guys like our truth doesn't really get the credit uh, that I think he should get, you know, because he's always doing comedy characters and acting like a goof, but he's a great wrestler. And, uh, you know, obviously Daniel Bryant, Ziggler, uh, you know, are great. And Dean Ambrose, they, they're fantastic guys. And bad news Barrett, I think has come a long way since the leader of, uh, nexus and uh, you know luke harper for a big guy can move pretty well and and uh you know he's a great character and uh, stardust you know is, is kind of like falls into that uh, r-truth um character where you know they're playing comedy roles and you know when i guess when you're playing gold dust's evil brother you know you're not going to be taken too seriously as a a wrestler but uh he's really good and a great wrestler you know obviously his dad dusty Rhodes. you know there's pedigree uh in that family for talent you know it, it's kind of funny goldust and stardust don't get credit for being you know pretty good wrestlers and, and their dad you know who was a pretty good wrestler himself but you know because he was a fat slob and you know spoke jive you know didn't really uh you know, get the credit for be being as talented as they were. You know, it's, it's kind of like the eighties metal, you know, band members who, you know, you take a guy like CC DeVille from poison was a, you know, classically trained guitar player, but you know, that really wasn't paying the bills in the eighties. So he dyes his hair blonde, starts playing, you know, pink fucking guitars and, you know, starts making millions. But you know, the reality was he was pretty talented and is a talented guitar player. So, uh, you know, such is life in the world of wrestling. And uh, you talk about a spot fest of spot fest by some just greatly skilled guys. Uh, this was it. You know, you know, the WWE that I think their bread and butter matches are, um, you know, ladder matches in Hell in the Cell. And 
this was just uh, awesome. Uh, I, I must give the WWE credit here. Just, you know, high spot after high spot. Um, you know, Harper uh, getting uh, put into a sleeper by Ziggler as he's climbing up the ladder. Uh, you know, Barrett just uh, executed a huge superplex on Stardust off the tall ladder. And, uh, you know, Ambrose taking these crazy bumps. And it was a fun match. And, uh, you know, I, I thought Ziggler would, would uh, win. But uh, Daniel Bryant grabbed the title. And, uh, you know, he, he's, you know, I don't think, uh, I think it basically boiled down to Ziggler and, and Bryant. But, uh, you know, Bryant's pretty hot right now. And uh, nice little segment at the end that he had with uh Ricky Steamboat, who looked like he was completely lost. Uh, he didn't know what the hell was going on. He looked like the uh, Ronnie from Jersey Shore reading the cue cards in the Zenadrine commercial. And uh, just a horrible Macho Man impression. And then Ric Flair looks like he just took a few bumps. And he's got fucking liver spots on his forehead. And his eyes are all bug-eyed. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was a fun segment. And I think it kind of... You know, for the older wrestling fans like me, kind of validates Daniel Bryan, you know, if, if the older guys are giving him props. And uh, we then go right into uh, Randy Orton and Seth Rollins, who uh, I just love. I mean, I'm just the biggest uh, Seth Rollins fan because I think he has really perfected the kind of cowardly heel. And uh, I just think that he's really now that has what appears to be Lesnar kind of being almost like a good bad guy you know the one of the rare cases where the crowd actually roots for the bad guy to a degree and it's it's, it's hard to uh portray him as uh <laughs> you know a sympathetic bad guy but uh he's you know seems to be headed that route and I think Rollins is just, you know, he just makes you hate him, you know, uh, you know, especially how he acted uh, the following night on Raw. Um, he just is a, he's the, the bad guy for the new uh, era of uh, pro wrestling. And, uh, you know, Orton, uh, you know, he, he's kind of like, you know, last couple of years has, has been at the top of the card, but. He seems to have plateaued a little bit and, uh, you know, for whatever, uh, reason he, he, I don't think the WWE really knows what to do with him. I mean, you know, he, he seemed to peak in evolution and the legend killer, uh, gimmick, you know, he, he was actually the first guy I wanted, uh, staying to uh, battle. Cause I thought, well, oh, that'd be a great angle, you know? the legend killer against the, the last remaining legend you didn't beat, but uh, they went another direction with Sting. One that I am not happy with, but uh, that's uh, commentary will come in the next uh, match. But, uh, you know, Orton and Rollins, uh, they have good chemistry and, uh, you know, a lot of great uh, attempts on both uh, finishing moves, you know, uh, Rollins with the curb stomp and Orton with the RKO. Uh, you know, Orton, you know, is a, you know, obviously his dad, Cowboy Bob Orton, 
So, uh, you know, there's pedigree in that family for uh, good matches and, uh, you know, some good spots in this match with uh, Orton landing a lot of, uh, you know, these like forearm uppercuts early on in the match. And uh, he eliminated uh, J&J security with a double DDT outside the ring, which was kind of a cool spot. And uh, Rollins had some great uh, spinning moves off the top rope, including one from uh, on the edge of the uh, ring where he basically flew himself into Orton in this wild twisting maneuver. And uh, they had a really a good chemistry. You could tell they were in sync with each other from uh, word one. And... Uh, just an outstanding match crowd was super into it and uh, kind of surprising that uh, Orton got the win because uh, you know you just think that you know I mean it's hard to uh, guess how WWE is going to book things you know it's uh, they seem to sometimes have no rhyme or reason and uh, I, I just, I would definitely thought Rollins would win here, but uh, the great finish to the match has uh, Orton delivered these two uh, fantastic RKOs on J&J security because uh, they uh, resuscitated uh, all of a sudden and got back into the match. And then uh, Rollins uh, went to do the foot stomp and... Uh, Orton somehow miraculously turned it into an RKO and and got the win. So uh, this was, I think, the start of the peak of the uh, card that, you know, uh, the ladder match was uh, awesome as well. But uh, this was like, okay, WrestleMania is live now. And then we get to Sting and Triple H, which... Uh, if you would have told me uh, that Sting, after basically shunning the WWF, WWE for his whole career, you know, had many opportunities to join and didn't, you know, especially after he uh, became a reborn Christian, I, I really don't think Sting was into the uh, Attitude Era. Um, you know, I don't think he was into the brawn panties matches and you know, May Young giving birth to uh, Mark Henry's hand, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I think he's like, ah, I'll just go to TNA and do my thing there. And, you know, if you would have told me that he would join the WWE and then lose to Triple H, I would have been like, you're crazy. There's no way. And that's exactly what happened. And I'm assuming Sting had the creative control to put the kibosh on any storyline like that I, I don't know what the wwe promised him you know because you just have to assume that he'll wrestle at least probably one more match next year against the undertaker and uh, there's no way vince mcmahon would let a wcw uh man beat the undertaker in his final match so i, I don't see sting joining to go oh and two in his wwe career which is uh what made the results of WrestleMania 31 unbelievable to me. I mean, it started off kind of cool. The entrances were cool. I mean, 
at one point, and I don't think I'm the first person to say this, but you know, Sting came out to uh, a percussion entrance, I guess you'd call it. Uh, you know, making people believe that the Great Muda or Mr. Fuji was going to come out, and uh, you know, I'm not sure where all of a sudden Sting's uh, Japanese roots came into play. But, uh, I, you know, like I said previously, I, I would have liked this entrance a lot more in the nighttime because I think it lost a little bit uh, of its appeal in, in, in broad daylight. And, uh, you know, Mr. Miyagi was leading the way on drums. And then you had, you know, various uh, people in Sting uh, get up uh, doing a, uh, you know, drum beat that you assumed King Kong would come crashing through the uh, far end of the stadium. And Sting came out, you know, great pop. Although I, I, I'm not sure how many of the younger fans still know who he is. Uh, and then Triple H came out, of course, to the better entrance. You know, this wild Terminator-like, uh, you know, he had like a mask on and all that shit and you know Schwarzenegger basically intros him and uh you know it, it was a uh the funny thing is it was the longest match on the card at 18 minutes and if you would have I think pulled anyone who would have the shorter match on the card it, it probably would have been this match given the age of the participants I mean Sting just turned 56 Triple H is 45 but you know the reality is that his body is probably 65 and uh which might explain the run-ins and stuff that they had uh you know uh, later on in the match and it was a good match i mean you know for two guys i you know i think triple h respects sting enough to you know sell for him and and obviously i'm sure sting uh knows who he's in the ring with basically the head guy uh, you know, and, uh, you know, Sting basically delivered his moves, you know, the, the Stinger splash, the Scorpion death lock, the Scorpion death drop, you know, uh, Triple H, uh, delivered the pedigree and Sting got out of it, you know, which I was surprised that, you know, you make Sting look strong in doing that. And then, uh, what I thought was just completely unnecessary was all the run-ins. You know, at one point, DX comes out, Sting uh, beats up on them, uh, and then a storyline that made absolutely no sense is the NWO Black and White comes out to save Sting, which, you know, if you're an older fan, you know that Sting hated the NWO black and white and always was battling them. So I don't know what the hell uh, happened. And now I realize this is a fictional storyline, so I'm probably overanalyzing it. And then Shawn Michaels, you know, super kicks Sting, uh, you know, and it's like, all right, well, Shawn Michaels just inducted Kevin Nash into the Hall of Fame less than 24 hours ago. Now, all of a sudden, they're enemies again. So it just seemed like the writers were like, let's throw enough shit against the wall and, and see what sticks. And I just think the run-ins weren't very good. I mean, you know, to see Hall, Nash, and Hulk Hogan take bumps. First of all, their run-in was more like a, a geriatric walk-in. Uh, 
Um, I've seen three-legged dogs move faster than those three guys. And, uh, you know, I did like the Shawn Michaels super kick on Sting because the way the camera work was, you didn't see Shawn Michaels into the frame until the super kick happened. But, you know, I just think a better play would have been almost if you had DX and the NWO come out, start attacking Sting, Triple H is about to pin him, and then all of a sudden Goldberg's music hits. You know, it was a true WCW creation product guy, whatever you want to call him. He cleans the ring, and then, you know, Sting gets the win. Because here's the problem with the, you know, Triple H winning, is that, you know, Triple H, win or lose, the next day is still Triple H the badass. And now with Sting losing the next day, and it's obvious with what he did on Raw, uh, it's just now... A, another dude who lost to Triple H versus if he would have won, his character is totally set up for the next year. Whether you have him just fight The Undertaker at WrestleMania 32 in Texas or you have him in select pay-per-views, you know, Royal Rumble, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam has the badass that beat Triple H. So I, I just don't understand the logic there. You you make a bit huge deal the last four months bringing Sting in just to have him essentially job to Triple H with horrible run-ins. It just it makes no sense at all. And then, you know, the next night on Raw is basically after Raw. I mean, Sting doesn't even get the fucking respect of appearing on the program. I mean, you've got three fucking hours to fill. How about forget the goddamn Divas segment or, you know, Adam Rose and his band of rabbits and, and you know, animals and give Sting a couple minutes to, you know, you could have had him, I don't know, at the very least, you know, beat up Kane or something to make him look strong. Instead, you have him appear on the WWE Network after Raw's over and he gives uh, fucking Bo Dallas, uh, you know, who's like uh, basically on the level of the Brooklyn Brawler, a scorpion death drop. And, and I, I don't know what the writers are thinking, how that makes Sting look, uh, you know. And it also didn't make Sting look good, to be completely honest with you, when uh, Triple H, you know, 40 minutes later is in a segment with The Rock in suit and tie, you know, looking fresh and good. Uh, I mean, I actually like the segment, but it like totally devalues the match that Triple H just had with Sting. It makes Sting look like, uh, you know, just a jobber. So I, I'm not sure what the WWE promised him. I mean, I'm assuming that... You know, in part, Sting came to the WWE to get the video rights and DVD packages, and I'm assuming he'll get in the Hall of Fame next year. Uh, but I'm assuming they'll put him in the Hall of Fame after he wins something. I mean, you can't have the guy come in and go 0-1. Uh, and I also didn't like how uh, JBL kind of shit on Sting the whole match. It's like JBL is a fucking mid-carder at best, who the only reason he got any kind of a push literally uh, was that he was giving Vince McMahon good stock tips. So at this point, why not have Jim Cramer win a belt? Uh you know, the guy from fucking Mad Money on MSNBC, which uh, their ratings make CNN look like a fucking juggernaut. So, you know, I think at one point JBL said, hey, Sting, this isn't Starcade. So it's like a total, you know, they totally buried Sting. So, you know, I'm pissed. But uh, then again, it's it's uh, scripted. 
entertainment. So what the hell do I care? Um, so that was the uh, third match. And, uh, you know, it's just, it was okay. You know, I'm just disappointed. Uh, I mean, overall, I liked WrestleMania. I just didn't, you know, if you take out the Sting Triple H thing, I, I give it a nine out of 10. But, you know, onward and upward to the next match. But before we get to the next match, they had a uh, musical interlude of sorts. Uh, Skylar Gray, uh, Travis Barker, and uh, Kid Inc., who I've uh, never uh, heard of before, but uh, what do I know? Uh, Gray sang Rise, and Kid Inc. sang Money and the Power, and, uh, you know, it just was kind of a time waster. And I know that uh, later on, some of the segments had to be cut because they were running out of time. Um, I just don't think music... uh, Live music goes over well at WrestleMania. You know, it's kind of like a comic doing uh, their act in between music acts on a show. It usually never works out. So I just thought this was kind of a time killer. And uh, I thought, you know, although you knew certainly that Sting and uh, Triple H's, uh, you know, entrances would be elaborate. You know, I don't know about the drum solo for Sting. And, uh, you know, Triple H's uh, Terminator uh, intro took up, a, you know, a big amount of time. And not to mention the horrible uh, run, I mean, walk-ins by, you know, wrestlers who were literally, you know, I think a, literally a combined, everyone in the ring at the end of the Sting-Triple H match was, I think someone added up to be like close to 500 years old. And uh, please, for the love of God, uh, WWE, if you ever do have Sting in another match, you got to fix that fucking hair, man. He looked like Jack Nicholson in The Joker, you know, bald spots everywhere. And, you know, between that and, you know, Ric Flair's liver spots and, you know, Pat Patterson uh, looking lost without any 12 year olds around him. uh, You know, I mean, Piper looked good, but, you know, he takes care of himself. So, uh, you know. I just thought uh, it could have been a little tighter, as they say. And then you had the uh, fourth match on the card was uh, AJ Lee and Page taking on the Bella Twins. And uh, kind of a short match, but to be honest with you, one of the better uh, matches, women's matches, I think I've seen. Um, A lot of good spots and, uh, you know, high energy. The crowd was kind of into it. I mean, I realize, you know, I'm not a big fan of... uh, you know, women uh, wrestling and stuff because I just, you know, it's kind of like watching an NBA game and then uh, watching, um, you know, WNBA game. It just, I don't know, doesn't uh, do it for me. But, uh, you know, the women are incredible athletes, but I I just, I don't know. Uh, It's just kind of a time killer, but this was a good match. And, uh, you know, AJ, Lee, and Paige beat the Bella Twins, which is kind of surprising. And, uh, you know, because the Bella Twins are basically the the face of uh, certainly Total Divas, which is one of the worst uh, shows I think ever uh, scripted, unscripted. But, you know, it's on E, so that doesn't surprise me. I mean... You know, I get the feeling uh, if I walked into the E offices with a blank piece of paper, I would get a uh, 
a time slot. So, um, you know, kind of set up the next match, you know, got the crowd going after the long sting triple H match for, uh, Cena and, uh, Rusev. Uh, you know, I like Rusev. He harkens back to, uh, you know, the stereotypical, uh, Russian, uh, bad guy. Uh, and you know, Cena is, uh, you know, kind of like a, you know, Mr. America, but you know, he's kind of almost in that Roman Reigns mode where uh, people don't like him and they're kind of stuck because the kids like him and they sell a lot of merchandise, but the adults don't like him. So it's kind of a weird thing that you have Rusev obviously playing the heel, but you know, Cena kind of getting that good guy heel heat and uh, you know, but both guys are great athletes and uh, this match didn't disappoint. It was, uh, you know, well uh, scripted. But, I mean, let's be honest. Who cares about a well scripted match when you have Lana ringside, who is Rusev's uh, valet? They're kind of taking Rusev back old school to the days where, uh, you know, a wrestler who maybe wasn't that good on the mic, you know, needed some eye candy, if you will, and... She is beautiful. Think, uh, you know, Bridget Nielsen and uh, Rocky Four, which I'm guessing they made her watch on loop for hours and hours to get the uh, voice down and the uh, cunty attitude. And uh, she's great. And uh, Rusev and Cena was uh, actually a pretty good match. Uh, very, very... Um, you know, both guys got in power moves, you know, the accolade, you know, was put on Cena. Cena was the first guy to break out of it. Um, Cena did an attitude adjustment and, uh, you know, a lot of power kicks and clotheslines. And, uh, you know, they seem to have actually pretty good chemistry. And as of course the WWE never wanting a match to end clean. They have Lana get to the uh, edge of the apron on the uh, top. Cena sees her. Rusev gets mad. He rushes Cena. Cena miraculously gets out of the way. Lana goes to the, you know, floor hurting her ankle. And then Cena puts the attitude adjustment and uh, pin Rusev to win the WWE United States Championship for a fourth time, um, which is somewhat of a historic uh, match because he was the first person to pin Rusev. And so we don't know where the feud goes from here. Um, you know, uh, probably is, you know, you could have them battle a few more months and uh, I think their matches would only get better but uh, Rusev's a talent no doubt about it uh, I'm sure he's not from the Ukraine he's likely from the Ukraine about his likely as uh, Kamala was from Uganda who I actually think he was from like South Carolina but hey what the hell it's you know it's pro wrestling I'm probably overanalyzing this stuff too much. 
And then we got a, a pretty cool segment in between uh, the Rusev Cena match and the Undertaker Bray Wyatt match. Uh, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon uh, came down to the ring. And, uh, you know, pretty quick heel promo about, you know, they own all the divas and wrestlers in the back. Triple H spouts off how he owned Sting. And, you know, as you can tell, this uh, broadcast is very heavy on Sting stuff. But it, it this segment even buries Sting. Because how does it make Sting look that, you know, literally 25 minutes after your match with Triple H, he's in the ring again uh, in a suit and tie looking like, you know, he just got a facial and a deep tissue massage. And, you know, it just makes you look like a complete jobber to him. But, you know, I got to move on. And uh, probably the surprise of the night, The Rock comes out to uh, face two members of the authority. And, uh, you know, The Rock's great on the mic, and he's looking very bulked up. Uh, very um, surprising that he was even here because, you know, this is in uh, San Jose, San Francisco area. The Rock hosted Saturday Night Live less than 24 hours ago. So uh, he got on someone's private jet ASAP. If he uh, got on Lufthansa, he probably would have crashed somewhere. And, uh, you know, Stephanie McMahon kicks him out of the ring. And, and I thought it was a pretty cool moment. Uh, Rock sheepishly gets out of the ring, walks around. A very good camera work on this one. Uh, even though uh, it was known she was ringside, uh, you know, the Rock slowly walks around halfway the ring, stops, backs up, and the camera focuses in on a UFC women's champ, uh, Ronda Rousey, and the crowd's yelling, Ronda Rousey. And uh, she uh, jumps the barricade, goes with uh, Rock into the ring, puts uh, <laughs> Triple H in a judo throw, and then uh, put Ronda, uh, Ronda put uh, Stephanie in a uh, arm bar, which is her big move for those of you who aren't in into the UFC. Pretty quick segment, but I got the crowd going. And then uh, we got to probably maybe the most anticipated match of the night, which was uh, Bray Wyatt and The Undertaker. And uh, it kind of a bizarre entrance for Bray Wyatt, <laughs> you know, is he comes out, you know, and he's being kind of surrounded by people who look like zombies or... I don't know, homeless scarecrows. And, uh, and then the undertaker came out to kind of a, at least for him anyway, a somewhat nondescript intro, slowly walking down. And, uh, you know, we got up, when he got up to the uh, ring and got into the, the ring itself, and, you know, he had his leather jacket on and hat. And I think people were really curious to see uh, what he looked like. And he took off the uh, hat and has a you know relatively decent sized uh, amount of hair. Certainly, hairline much better than Sting's, who uh, looked like uh, you know Edward Scissorhands and the Scarecrow. Uh, you know, two minutes into his match, and uh, you know looked pretty healthy. You know that was the concern after the beating he took last year with Lesnar. He 
you know, concussion, I think halfway through the match and, and literally had to, uh, you know, take a year off and, you know, he's, I think he's 50, 51, but he's, he's probably the reality is, is an old 50, 51, you know, given the amount of punishment and hell in the cell matches that he's had over the years, he's, his body probably is literally that of a 70 year old, but he looks pretty healthy. And, uh, According to uh, various online reports, Bray Wyatt suffered a severely sprained ankle uh, earlier in the week uh, getting ready for this match. So that might have helped the match. So um, apparently at some points he couldn't even stand and was in a boot up until walking out and, uh, you know, probably made him wrestle at the Undertaker's pace. And, uh you know, it was a uh, fairly uh, laborious match. Uh, both guys got in their shots. Um, you know, Undertaker landed a few boots, you know, corner shots, both guys. Uh, Wyatt had a couple huge clotheslines. And uh, Undertaker had a pretty cool move, uh, I thought, where he got on the top rope as uh, Wyatt was his neck was exposed on the outside part of the apron and he, he did like a, a drop kick, fairly dangerous move for a guy who's as banged up as the undertaker is uh, a couple tombstone pile drivers, which uh, Bray Wyatt got out of undertaker actually kicked out of a sister Abigail, which is why it's finishing move. But uh, you can only escape one too many uh, tombstone pile drivers, which is a very still a very dangerous move. I mean, it probably the Undertaker's probably the only one uh, allowed to win the match uh, by doing that move because it's. I'm telling you, man, it, it, your neck is dropped so close to the ground at full force that it, you really have to do it correctly. And uh, you know, even the Undertaker is you know, probably prone to a mistake here and there, but, uh, he delivered his pile drivers flawlessly. And, uh, you know, he ended up getting back on a WrestleMania winning streak, which uh, I don't know. I, you know, it's like, I, you know, I don't know if it made sense. Lesnar beating the undertaker last year, it probably would have made more sense if you had Bray Wyatt beat him this year. Um, you know, because now Wyatt's lost two WrestleManias in a row, you, you know, he, the last four months or whatever, it's been two to four months. I'm not going to lie. I don't watch every Raw. Um, you know, in pretty much the last couple months, I've watched just to see if Sting would show up. But, you know, you've positioned Bray Wyatt as essentially the new Undertaker. And, you know, he lost in a pretty nondescript match to him. So it's going to be very hard to package him as the new Undertaker when you kind of had him lose a, a fairly routine match to him. But this is the world of pro wrestling, so, you know, no one knows. Which uh, leads us to the main event. And this is a very interesting uh, main event because you've pretty much ever since Brock Lesnar, uh, it's Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, by the way, uh, you know, ever since uh, Brock has been in uh, the WWE, he's been positioned as the baddest man on the planet. And uh, he probably is one of the baddest men. Sans uh, Alistair Overeem, who gave him a liver kick. And if you watch UFC, you know that when Overeem delivered this liver kick, 
you could actually see Lesnar mouth, ouch. And when you make Brock Lesnar say, ouch, uh, you might be the baddest guy on the planet. Um, so it, it's, you know, he's kind of like a, a good bad guy. And I think they've been forced to paint him in almost a face role in this match because for whatever reason, the WWE universe just does not like Roman Reigns. Um, he gets booed constantly. Um, and that's got to kill Vince McMahon because they, they clearly pushed Reigns. And, uh, you know, Reigns started out with the Shield with Ambrose and Rollins. And, you know, they really broke up the Shield probably like they should have, you know, you know, when they were still on top and kicking ass versus like, say, the NWO, which went on way too long. I mean, you know, the NWO was uh, not good when fucking Virgil and, you know, Scott Norton, I even think toward the end, Horace Hogan was in it. Uh, and, you know, I think people still to this day are like, man, I wish uh, the Shield stayed together. And that's always a sign they broke it up at the right time. But I think in the perfect world, Vince McMahon would have loved the crowd to get behind Roman Reigns. And, you know, it'd be a typical almost 80s like bad guy versus good guy. So I'm sure uh, there was much debate on what to do with this match. I mean, do you put the belt on Reigns, uh, who would probably instantly become the most hated champion of all time? WCW, WWE, ECW, TNA, the, you know, UHF, VHF, whatever. Uh, or do you put it on a part-timer? Uh, or you keep it on a part-timer uh, in Lesnar? And, you know, that's really the, the fan's biggest beef with Lesnar is he's not on uh, every Monday Night Raw. He's not, I don't think he's ever been on SmackDown to my knowledge, but he might have been, I'm guessing on that. And he, you know, shows up here and there on a pay-per-view. So, uh, you know, it, it's, I'm sure the writers and Vince and Triple H uh, went back and forth on this one. And, uh, you know, this was a great match. I'll be honest with you. It, it probably uh, had the, um, the least amount of enthusiasm from the standpoint of what these two guys could deliver. But uh, for two guys uh, who are incredibly strong, uh, they're great athletes. I mean, if you've ever seen... Uh, you know, just to briefly delve into Brock Lesnar's uh, UFC career, you know, he might have the the greatest, uh, and this is very debatable and arguable, he, he might have the greatest uh, fight card of anyone in the UFC because outside the first guy he fought, which was, you know, some Japanese dude, it was probably a gimme fight for him. I'm sure the dude's a badass, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure they gave Lesnar this guy, like, you know, get your feet wet and, you know, we'll figure it out. And then after that, it was, you know, Heath Herring, Randy Couture, Frank Mir, you know, Junior Dos Santos. I mean, you know, he only fought champions. Um, and, you know, when Heath Herring is the worst guy in your fight card, that's a pretty good card. Um, so uh, he's a fantastic athlete. And Roman Reigns, uh, you know, is, is we, we spoke a lot in this podcast about, you know, Randy Orton being able to deliver a good match because who his dad is and, and uh, you know, Stardust and Goldust being able to uh, deliver great matches because of, you know, who their father is. And, uh, 
you know, Reigns comes from the, you know, Samoan uh, dynasty uh, in the uh, WWE. So he's uh, an incredible athlete. You know, he's got the look, great hair, very good looking guy, uh, you know, great body. I sound pretty gay right now. But uh, I think the knock on him is, uh, one, he's not very good on the mic, comes off a little stiff in interviews, and he's got no gas tank. Uh, so it's it's kind of hard to make him the champion when he, you know, literally five, six minutes into the match, he's, he's you know, because he's so muscular that he, uh, you know, kind of can't do some wackier moves toward the end of the match, which is typically when all the wackier moves happen. Um, but you know, if I'm hoping that he gained a lot of respect as he should in this match from the marks and the hardcore fans, because Lesnar, my God, gave him a beating. I think I lost count at 10 suplexes and you know, these are very much like, uh, the suplexes Chris Benoit would deliver. Uh, but delivered by a guy who's literally probably almost a foot taller than Benoit and, and probably one of the few guys in wrestling history who's, you could say, is twice as strong as Benoit. So you can imagine what one suplex uh, would feel like, let alone 10, a few F5s. Uh, you know, Reigns got in some offense too. Uh, I think he actually cut Lesnar with the first punch he threw. Um you know, because as soon as uh, I think a minute into the match, you know, they had this little exchange where they were throwing punches and, uh, you know, Lesnar looks up and he's got a pretty big welt on his uh, left eye uh, slash cheekbone area. And it wouldn't surprise me, Lesnar being such a badass in his UFC background, if he said to Reigns, hit me once for real, so it'll look good. Um and then uh, later on in the match, he went headfirst into a, uh, a ring post and, and pretty nice gash uh, that caused a fair amount of blood, at least by uh, this era standards. Uh, there's a couple of rumors online that the ref handed uh, him something to Blade, which, as you know, it's hard to talk about what's legal and illegal in a uh, predetermined sport. But, uh, you know, the WWE, ever since they tried to become a more family-oriented product, um, I think somewhat forbids their wrestlers to blade each other. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that, it's when a wrestler takes a razor blade and usually cuts their forehead area. The forehead, other than the penis, has the most uh, blood vessels in your body. So if you cut yourself around your hairline, or maybe if you ever look at Triple H's forehead, uh, you'll notice he's got divots in it. Uh, <laughs> looks like a, uh, a, a tire uh, with some deep grooves drove across his forehead several hundred times. Um, you know, that's all from the results of blading. And if you ever have the pleasure of going to Abdullah's ribs and uh, Atlanta, Georgia, you will see probably the greatest blader of all time, the legendary Abdullah the Butcher, who uh, never really made it to the big time. You know, he, he was in the uh, South wrestling uh, uh, scene, the territories for a long time. Uh, I think he got to WCW. He might have even been in WWE uh, for a little bit, but uh, he was too wild for them. I mean, he uh, would just blade and take a cheese grater to his forehead. I mean, and you know, he's like build from being from the Sudan and uh, 
you know, much like uh, Kamala and Rusev, uh, I'm pretty sure Abdullah the Butcher was from like South Carolina. Uh, but uh, go to Abdullah's ribs. He's literally working behind the counter. Um, and so this was a good match, though, uh, and a great ending. Uh, you know, both guys getting in their power shots. But I would say, uh, you know, Lesnar uh, probably delivered most of the punishment. And, uh, you know, the, it's kind of a nice crescendo here where uh, Lesnar uh, did uh, two... Two German suplexes and literally his third F5. But Reigns uh, somehow kicked out and the crowd's booing. Uh, so Lesnar throws Reigns into the ringside steps. Rain, Reigns then executes his finishing move. Uh, he's known for uh, the Superman punches and he's headbutting Lesnar and then a third Superman punch and then he executes a spear. Uh, Lesnar's already on his feet after the spear so he eats a second spear and then Lesnar kicks out and then <laughs> you knew this was happening but it was still pretty cool to see where Seth Rollins music hits. He runs down to the ring with his money in the bank so he's cashing in on the money in the bank you know the theory being these two guys are exhausted so he'll get the easy win and uh reigns uh he gives reigns the curb stomp uh but reigns kicks out he then attempts a second curb stomp but uh lesnar puts rollins up in an f5 Reigns spears Lesnar and then Rollins gets uh, Reigns in a curb stomp and pinned him for the WWE World Championship uh, even though Lesnar was the champion uh, this was a uh, basically a three way match so all you had to do was pin anyone and you win the title and uh, that was pretty much the end of Wrestlemania and uh, you know Seth Rollins is a great heel he, he's he's kind of Kind of reminds me a little bit of Shawn Michaels. You know, he's he's not like the biggest guy, but he's, you know, very well built and very athletic. And uh, he's, he's got that cowardly heel, like I said earlier, uh, character just down to perfection. You know, because the next night on Raw, um, Lesnar uh, chased him around. And, uh, you know, he ran away from him in the crowd. And uh, so that's, you know, you really could go either way here. And then uh, Lesnar was suspended for uh, not only destroying the announcer's table, knocking uh, Booker T unconscious and and uh, putting uh, Michael Cole in an F5, who took a nice bump. I'll give Cole that. And then Lesnar, you know, uh, gave an F5 to the camera guy who was clearly he looked like an independent wrestler. I, I don't even think the fucking camera was probably on. And then uh, Stephanie McMahon came out, suspended him. So, you know, that's the storyline, basically. You could have Lesnar off the air for a while now and while uh, Rollins and Reigns go at it, which would be a good, uh, you know, kind of a good feud to former S.H.I.E.L.D. members. Uh, you know, and you know, there's any number of ways you could, you know, have that play out. You could fake it out like you could have Reigns and Rollins go at it and then Ambrose comes in and then, you know, they do some swerve where the shield <clears throat> reunites and maybe Lesnar comes in and takes out the shield. I don't fucking know. I mean, these storylines get so confusing. I mean, but, you know, that's why we all love it. 
And, uh, you know, all in all, I would say this was a really good WrestleMania. I mean, I would give it a nine out of 10 and really the only point I deduct and, and I won't say my reasons again, but you know, it's just the sting match just makes no fucking sense to me, you know, and not that, you know, obviously it's, uh, you know, it's not pro wrestling isn't necessarily something that you could, uh, try and make sense out of and, and come away pleased with your thought deductions. But it's just like, it's just kind of a bummer because I'm a WCW guy and, uh, you know, staying 30 years in the business, I thought that you could have given him his moment in the sun. And, uh, you know, the next Monday night on Raw, they, they you know, like I said, they didn't even give him like five minutes on Raw. They gave him like the segment after Raw's off the air and you got to turn into the fucking WWE network and you got Sting in a segment with, you know, this with Bo Dallas. And, you know, that's kind of like, you know, what infuriates me is that Triple H puts him in himself in a segment with The Rock you know, literally 15, 20 minutes after their WrestleMania match and Stings doesn't appear again on WrestleMania, doesn't appear on Raw, and you got him in there with a fucking jobber like Bo Dallas. So it's like, what what on earth did, did Sting, either Sting is a bad manager or a bad agent or he just too many chair shots with Ric Flair and, and Steamboat at Starcades where he didn't care what the his presentation would be to the WWE audience. So, you know, good WrestleMania. You know, I would say my favorite uh, parts of it really were, you know, there's not a lot of bad to take out of it. I mean, the, the matches were great. I mean, the, uh, the ladder match was awesome. You know, the battle Royal was kind of funny. Uh, you know, the, the tag team, uh, you know, match was, was really good. And all those guys had good teamwork. Um, you know, Rollins Norton was a great match, you know, uh, you know, triple H and sting. I mean, you know, it was, there were some cool spots in that, like when sting delivered his patented drop, you know, uh, kick and the crowd, you know, pretty much the whole stadium was like, you still got it. You know, that was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, triple H sold for him just, you know, you know how I feel about that match. And, you know, the Diva match was really good, fast, but good. And, uh, you know, I think the Undertaker and Bray Wyatt was good. You know, I'll, I'll be very short. You know, Cena and Rusev right before that was was good. You know, uh, per, I thought their match was a good amount of time. Like, it wasn't too long, wasn't too short. Uh, I thought the Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, Rock Rousey segment was was good, but it took a lot of time which kind of made it seem like, you know, the Undertaker and Wyatt's entrances were a smidge rushed. And, uh, you know, Lesnar and Reigns' entrances were, you know, seems like it was after that Triple H segment. It's like, all right, let's just get this over with. Um, you know, me personally, I, I could do without the music segments. You know, nothing against Travis Barker and, and Skylar Gray and Kid Inc., but it just, I don't know. If I want to see them, I'll go to one of their concerts. I'm at WrestleMania to see wrestling. Uh, you know, I'm not quite sure about, you know, the staying entrance, as you know, you know, this wasn't a guitar center drum clinic. And then, you know, Triple H gets this killer fucking, you know, movie like entrance, uh, you know, just have them walk out to their theme music and, uh, you know, let's just get going. And, uh, really the only other thing to talk about is the, uh, the hall of fame 
which was Saturday night. Um, it was uh, an interesting group of inductees. And once again, I don't want to get too fucking technical here. I mean, you know, like I said, I mean, it, people always uh, argue about what the qualifications are to get into the WWE Hall of Fame. And I think it's just if you're a pro wrestler and you get to 50 years old, you just get in alone on your survival instincts uh, if you're alive. And uh, this year's uh, group was uh, an eclectic bunch, I guess you'd say. Uh the Bushwhackers, Larry Zabisco, Alunder Braze, Blaze, and many of you may know uh, better as Medusa, Tatsumi uh, Fujinami, Rikishi, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Kevin Nash, and uh, a uh, Connor the Crusher McCulloch, who was a uh, WWE fan who was taken way too early from us. And, uh, of course, I guess... You'd say the headlining uh, inductee was uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, I mean, I don't know the Bushwhackers. It's, you know, seeing the Bushwhackers get in, it's kind of like seeing you know Dolph Lundgren get an Oscar. It's like, huh? But uh, you know, they were uh, more of a humorous uh, tag team. Um, you know, for the kids, I think. You know, Larry Zabisco, uh, old school wrestler, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of the fans, especially the younger fans, know who he was. I mean, Jesus, he's older than Sting. Um, Medusa was great. Uh, you know, she's probably most known for showing up on uh, Monday Nitro with the women's uh, championship belt and uh, dropping it in the uh, trash, which uh, probably got her on uh, Vince McMahon's uh, shit list. And, uh, you know, you had... Tatsumi Fujinami, who's a legendary uh, Japanese wrestler and uh, had some great matches with Ric Flair uh, over there and um, under the uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling moniker. And um, then you had Rikishi, who was uh, kind of like a Yokozuna-like uh, type uh, wrestler. Very good, uh, you know, for a guy that big, he, he was a very good wrestler, but, you know, he is... His finishing move was the stink face when he would literally throw you into the turnbuckle and put his ass in your face and rub it. Now, maybe guys like Pat Patterson would enjoy that, but, uh, you know, I I guess that gets you into the Hall of Fame these days. And then, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, I mean, I don't really associate him with pro wrestling, but, uh, hell, I don't really associate him with acting. So, uh, you know, what the hell's the difference? You know, just... Just get everyone in there, I guess. Um, and then, you know, probably the, the you know saddest storyline involving uh, Hall of Fame inductees was uh, Connor McCulloch, who was uh, basically a WWE super fan. And, uh, you know, he got a lot of uh, media attention when he wanted to meet his hero, Daniel Bryant. And, um, you know, he battled a spine and brain cancer and... Uh, you know, just, you know, an awful uh, way to pass. And, uh, you know, it's say what you want about pro wrestling, but, uh, you know, it, they do when someone dies in their circle, uh, do amazing tributes. And uh, kind of the cool thing, uh, 
about, uh, well, not cool thing about his passing, but uh, he is the receiver of the inaugural uh, Warrior Award, named after, of course, as many of you know, my favorite or second favorite pro wrestler, uh, the Ultimate Warrior. And uh, during the uh, nomination ceremony uh, Saturday night, he was inducted by Daniel Bryant and Dana Warrior. And yes, that is the Ultimate Warrior's wife, uh, her real last name. And uh, she gave a an amazing speech and, and Daniel Bryant uh, also did both just, you know, I tell you, you know, I don't cry a lot. You know, I cry at really the end of Brian's song, which is the story of Brian Piccolo. And uh, I don't know. Sometimes I cry at the end of that uh, Kevin Spacey, uh, Samuel Jackson movie, the negotiator, uh, which is kind of a, you know, semi obscure movie. But uh, if you don't cry during, uh, Daniel Bryan and Dana's uh, speech. It's like, you're not human. And, uh, you know, because Daniel Bryan got a little bit of criticism uh, for his speech because he said something to the effect of, you know, hey, wrestling's fake, but this is real life. And uh, I'm sure that uh, made Vince McMahon's heart rate go up a little bit. And then you had, of course, Macho Man Randy Savage, uh, long long overdue uh, to be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. And I think uh, a lot of people know why. So, uh, huge, huge rumor that's gone on for probably close to two decades that, you know, the macho man would never, ever get into the Hall of Fame because he had some kind of sexual relationship with uh, Stephanie McMahon when she was, you know, 17, 18 years old. And it is kind of weird, you know, when you look at some of the people who have got into the Hall of Fame, you know, the Coco Bewares and <laughs> some of these other like, you know, mid carters and, and basic jobbers. And you've got probably second to Hulk Hogan and you might say Warrior, the, the most, you know, decorated and well-known wrestler. And he's not in, but, uh, you know, Frankie and Coco Beware are. So uh, I'm not sure who made that happen, but uh, his brother, the genius Lanny Poffo, inducted him. And uh, it was a very good speech. Although I, I have to confess my, uh, you know, the Bushwhackers gave a funny speech. You know, Larry Zabisco, you know, this was, you know, he's, he, I think he's always thought he was funny. But, uh, you know, this was kind of, you know, it was there. And, uh, you know, Rikishi came out and did the dance with the Usos and, you know, Schwarzenegger was a politician speech and Fujinami's was, uh, you know, I don't know if a lot of people knew who he was, but, you know, he, he did a nice and respectable speech. But my favorite speech definitely was Medusa's because she, uh, you know, she kept it real. A little bit of uh, swearing, you know, paid tribute to several fallen wrestlers, you know, Rick Rude and who, uh, you know, I hope someday gets in the Hall of Fame himself. And uh, it's kind of hard, you know, you got to really hurry with these uh, inductions because you know that half these guys and girls aren't going to be alive in five years. But, uh, you know, I can't wait for Chris Benoit's induction. Boy, that's I can't, who's going to bring him in, the coroner? Uh, but, uh, you know, good Hall of Fame, uh, you know, ceremony. WWE always does a good job with that in the presentation. You know, it's, it's pretty neat to look out into the crowd and literally see uh, every... Uh, living wrestler out there and uh you know it's, it's funny because you know these guys don't really like each other that much you know like last year 
and I know Vince McMahon did this on purpose when Warrior was inducted he had Hulk Hogan in the front row and you know everyone knows if you've seen the Ultimate Warriors videos on YouTube where he just literally interviews himself talking shit about Hogan you know it's pretty funny to watch uh you know so when Hulk Hogan is I guess co-inducting uh you know uh, Macho Man uh, they hated each other you know they couldn't stand each other uh you know a lot of people blame Macho Man's demise on Hogan and his bullshit uh you know so you know what Hogan's said all these great things about Macho Man that every wrestler who's in the know in that crowd is like what a bullshitter you know, it was the same thing last year when, you know, they did those segments with Ultimate Warrior meeting Nash and shaking hands and him and Jake the Snake. You know, Warrior and Jake the Snake had big time problems, but they seemed a little more uh, genuine. And then they show Hogan Warrior talking and Hogan's, you know, knows very well aware of the cameras being there. And he's like, hey, brother, uh, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and then. You know, this year, you know, Hogan's paying tribute to his quote unquote buddy macho man. And it's like, come on, man. So, uh, you know, next year's induction, uh, I'm assuming it's going to, you know, they're already kind of building for uh, WrestleMania 32 in uh, Texas Stadium. You know, you could tell that they're probably going to build to a rock Triple H uh, match. Rumors of uh, Sting and The Undertaker which will be very interesting to me because I think Sting and the Undertaker will probably get into the Hall of Fame and then, and then have a, you know, retirement, a, a dual retirement match, which I think will be cool. Uh, but, uh, you know, once again, I, I don't know. I, I just don't see Sting coming to the WWE to lose his only two matches. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out throughout the course of the year. And, uh, you know, that pretty much wraps up my WrestleMania and uh, Hall of Fame, uh, you know, wrap up. So, uh, you know, every now and then I'll do a wrestling uh, podcast on my own. Or I'll bring a few of my friends on. And uh, I hope you like this one. Sorry it took a while, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a little overwhelming. I think the Hall of Fame uh, ceremony was like four hours. And, uh, you know, uh, when you take into account... That, you know, from the first, the two pre-show uh, matches to WrestleMania, that's like four hours. It, it's hard to wrap up an eight-hour show in a little under or over an hour. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. You know where to find us, uh, iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, please retweet and favorite when I uh, send out the links. You know, it helps bump up the numbers and, uh, you know, leave a review on iTunes and uh, tell all your friends. And uh, we'll be back next week with a special episode on Eddie Nash, who I've mentioned several times on this podcast, but he is the um, infamous club owner in the L.A. Uh, music and uh, club scene that, uh, you know, has been uh, portrayed in several movies, Boogie Nights and Wonderland. Uh, and uh, I'm having a Eddie Nash expert on to talk about this infamous person in the Los Angeles scene. So I hope you uh, tune in and enjoy that one and all the other future episodes of Inappropriate Earl. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just under my name, Earl Skakel, E-A-R-L-S-K-A-K-E-L. And guys, as always, thank you very much for the support. I do it for you.